Wildwood Community Church exists to glorify God by connecting people to Christ, His worship, His community, and His mission. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. We're going to be continuing a series that we began uh, just, just a couple of weeks ago called the ABCs of Faith. This now is the third installment in that series. And what we've been doing over the last couple of weeks is been, we've been walking through Romans chapters 4 and 5 to see how we are connected to the God of the universe. What is the key that turns the ignition of our salvation? It's not through our works. It's not through our ceremonies. It's not through our adherence to the law, but it is through faith in God and what he is providing us in Jesus Christ that that we can be connected to God, that we can be saved. And we've seen that over the last couple of weeks in this series. Today, we're going to continue this series by looking at Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, as we look not just to um, how we are connected to the, the, what God wants to do for us in Christ, but also what is it that he wants to do for us? What are the, the benefits or the blessing of believing? We're going to, to see that today from Romans 5, 1 through 11. But before we, we open up God's word, I want to share with you a memory from my own life. And this memory goes back to sometime before we had kids. I, I don't remember exactly when this time was in, in our life, but uh, it was right near Christmas. And I needed to buy a gift for my wife for Christmas. I, I, I said that wrong. I wanted to buy a gift for my wife for Christmas. And so, like, like any good husband, I go out to buy this gift, and I went to the store that you probably have gone to as well. I went to Bass Pro Shop uh, to go buy my wife a Christmas gift. So I walk into Bass Pro Shop, and I've got a certain budget in mind, and I'm walking around, and there at the front of the store is a kiosk that is offering for $49 two tickets to Dolly Parton's Dixie Stampede in Branson. And not only that, but offering two nights in the Radisson in Branson, Missouri. Two tickets to the Dixie Stampede, two nights in the Radisson. Now, I'm telling you, folks, for $49, there was no greater value for me for that Christmas. And so, like the true romantic that I am, I bought that gift package for my wife. And so we, we set up a time to go. Now, if you've ever bought that package there or something similar to it, this is what you know. Not only does that uh, trip cost $49, but it also costs two hours of your life in a timeshare presentation out at Big Cedar Lodge. And so after we had gone to the Dixie Stampede and after we had spent a couple of great nights at the Radisson, we went over to Big Cedar Lodge and went through the presentation of the timeshare. Now, here is what you got to know about us at at that phase of our lives. Um, We knew walking in that we could not afford the timeshare. We knew that we, there was no way we could do that. We were actually quite clear about that fact when we booked the trip, but we could not afford to buy a timeshare. The cost was just too great. Um, and, And not only that, but we were pretty sure that we didn't need a timeshare. So not only could we not afford it, but we didn't need it. But that didn't stop our new friend from talking to us about this timeshare. And and this friend began to really sell us hard on the timeshare. And he did so by talking about all of the benefits of this place. He talked about the view of the lake. 
And he talked about the fireplace inside. And he talked about all the great amenities at Big Cedar Lodge and everything that you could do there. And he talked about how every few years they would replace all of the fixtures and all of the furnishings and all of the sheets. So it was always going to be like a brand new place to stay. And he was really laying on the short distance and the drive and how we all needed a good getaway. And though we walked in not able to afford it, and though we walked in quite certain that we didn't need it, there was a point in that presentation where Kimberly and I were looking at each other going, well, what do you think? <laughs> now, now here's the deal about that, about that presentation. Um, when when he, they got right down to what it would cost, just not the initial cost, just to maintain that on a yearly basis, it was $150 more per month than we were currently budgeting for all vacations. Um, and so there was no way this was going to work out. But it was interesting, whenever they go to sell the timeshare, they begin by selling the benefits. You ever been sold something like that before? Well, you know what's interesting to me is that when the Apostle Paul writes the book of Romans, He's not selling some product, but he is sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. And as Paul shares the good news of Jesus Christ, he does not begin by selling us on the benefits. He doesn't do it. As a matter of fact, he begins by talking about the cost of salvation. And then he talks about our need for salvation. And though the cost of salvation is something so great that none of us could ever afford it, Paul tells us that Jesus paid it. He paid it all. And, and though he, he writes this without mentioning the benefits early on, he makes sure that we understand how much we need this because we are sinful and fallen people and, and if we want to have a hope of life, a hope of eternal life, a hope of forgiveness, a hope of eternity, we absolutely would need what Christ is offering. And so for four chapters, Paul has been showing to us the cost and our need for salvation. But you know what? Some of you have been sitting there maybe over the last little bit. We, we did the first seven messages in a series on Romans last fall in a series we called Good News, chapters one through three, or you've been here the last couple of weeks in the ABCs of Faith looking at some, some parts of, of this book in chapter 4, you might be wondering, okay, so where are the benefits? What's, what are the blessings of believing? Well, if you have been thinking that, then today's your Sunday. Uh, because in the providence of God, under the direction of the Holy Spirit, in chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, Paul picks up a pen and he shares with us the blessings of believing. And folks, it is a wonderful, wonderful reminder it is a beautiful list. It is a real-life gift that is offered to us at a cost we can't afford, but a cost that Jesus has paid. We're going to see this in Romans 5, verses 1 through 11. I'm going to read them for us, and then we'll back up and, and see seven different blessings that come to those who believe in Christ. Romans 5, beginning in verse 1, says this, Therefore... Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, 
Knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Now, in these 11 verses, we see at least seven different blessings um, that come to those who believe in Christ. Now, before we get to them, I want to make just a couple of general observations about this, this list and what is mentioned here. The first thing we need to see is that these are things that are applied to or become actualized for those who have placed their faith in Christ. We see this at the beginning of verse 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, the things that he's going to describe are things that are gifts to those who have been justified by faith. If you are here today and you have placed your faith in Christ, every blessing we're getting ready to look at is something God has given to you already. And if you are here today and you have not placed your faith and trust in Christ, then the things that we're going to go over in this list of blessings are things that are available to you if you would trust in Christ today. And so what we see here are a list of blessings for those who have been justified by faith in Christ. And what's interesting is Paul throughout this uh, section is going to use the first person plural pronoun of we. He's going to say, Though the we, Paul himself, and those who have placed their faith in Christ, all are recipients of the same blessing. Now, that's a pretty significant statement that he's making there because it's not hard for us sometimes to imagine a Bible hero like Paul experiencing the blessings that we're talking about. But it's interesting, when Paul talks about those blessings, he doesn't talk about them as if they were something that only he possessed, but he talks about them in, in a fashion that says, hey, anyone who has faith in Christ, these things apply to you too. So Paul is writing here about the blessings that follow belief in Christ, and he mentions in this passage at least seven of them. In our time today, we're going to look at them, though we will move quickly. The first blessing of believing in Christ is that we have peace with God. We have peace with God. Now we see this in in verse 1. He says, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, peace is something that we desire, isn't it? Peace is desirable. This is an election year. You're going to hear people promise peace uh, racially in our country. You're going to hear people promise peace internationally um, in relationships with with those that that live in other countries. You're going to have people promise peace and prosperity in in your daily life. I mean, this is something that, that we desire. It's something that we want. It's why they're campaigning on it. Peace is something that we desire. But sometimes in our conversations of peace, 
Um, we, we fail to remember a dimension of peace that is very, very important, and that is peace with God. We talk about peace with each other. We talk about peace in our time with other countries, peace in our family maybe. But it's also extremely important for us to have peace with God. You see, because of our sin, we have rebelled against God and we have become an enemy of God. But what Paul tells us in Romans 5.1 is that through Christ and what he has done, we are enemies of God no longer. Peace has been established between us and God. And that's an incredible blessing that it ought to be a reminder to us because if we are living at war, we, we live a different way than if we live at peace. If we live at war with God, then we run from him, we hide from him. We might run from him into our vocation. We might run from him into alcohol or drugs. We might run from him into a relationship thinking that somehow we can hide from God because we feel like he must be angry with us, he must be uh, not caring about us, we must be at war with him, and so we want to run and we want to hide. And if today you are living your life trying to run and hide from God, you need to remember that the treaty has been signed in Christ. There is peace in our time, in our relationship with God, if we are placing our faith and our trust in Christ. We can have peace with God, the first of the blessings mentioned here. The second blessing, though, goes beyond just peace with God, and it talks about access to the grace of God. Access to the grace of God. Now, we see this in verse 2. He says, through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. We've obtained access by faith into this grace. Now, that is kind of a strange phrasing for us a little bit. What does it mean to have received access or obtained access into this, this grace? Because it makes grace sound like a place or a realm or a sphere. And that's really exactly what Paul is trying to communicate. That when we trust in Christ, we are ushered into a different dimension of living that is marked by God's grace. And the language that Paul uses here actually helps us understand this a little more. The Greek word that lies behind our English translation, obtain access, is a word that is used in the first century in a number of different writings uh, in, in nautical terms, in nautical senses. The, the idea was that a boat could be given access to a harbor so that they could park and, and get out. Now, I've never driven a boat on the ocean before. Has anybody here ever driven a boat on the ocean? A few of you, hey, Doug, thank you, man. I love it that you've driven a boat on the, I've never done this. Um, but when you think about, you know, driving your boat up to harbor and, and parking it on the shore, I, you can tell I'm not a sailor by the words I'm using, okay? Uh, this is totally unrelated, but one time I talked about hemming some clothes as editing some pants, all right? So I obviously, there, there are things I know nothing about, okay? Um, so bear with me on, on the, the conversation about the boat, but, but a boat that needs to, to park on the shore. Um, in the midst of big waves, it's hard to do that. So they don't really want to do that in the midst of big waves. They want to find a spot that is protected where the water is more calm, and there they're able to pull up and park and get out and do whatever they need to do. And those areas, those places of protection uh, were guarded by whoever owned that harbor, and so some boats were allowed in, others were refused access. 
What Paul is saying here is he's saying that in Christ, we have been given permission to enter into the protected waters of God's grace. We do not live life being pounded about by waves, but there is an opportunity for us to enter some protected waters. Now, let me give you a a picture that maybe will help understand this a little more. This is Yes Bay, Alaska. Now, it doesn't look like it, but that is not a lake. That is the Pacific Ocean. Those waters are hundreds of feet deep, and inside those waters swim all kinds of of aquatic life that that goes in the ocean. Orca and porpoise and and all kinds of things are swimming in those waters right there, right when that picture was taken. We would see them poke their head up occasionally. Uh, We fished for some, not the orca. We did not fish for them. We fished for other things. Uh, Sea life lives in these waters. Now, what's interesting is we stayed in Yes Bay, and that Yes Bay was, was just as calm as could be. You could water ski on those waters. But when you went right down to the end of that little inlet, you would hit the open sea of the Pacific. Now, when we were in Yes Bay, we could get up, we could walk around, we could talk, we could listen to each other. We had a great time. But when we hit the open water, we were not standing up. We were sitting down and we were holding on wearing rain gear, and we couldn't even have a conversation with each other because it was so noisy and so loud out on the open sea that we had to protect ourselves lest we be thrown off. There's a difference in being on the Pacific Ocean and Yes Bay and being out in open waters. And what we see Paul mention here is that one of the blessings of believing is that we get to live out our Christian life in the, 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 the safe harbor of God's grace and not in the open sea of the rest of life. So we need not worry about being bucked out of the boat because we live in a realm of grace. We need not worry in ministry that we're going to screw something up so badly that we are so nervous to even talk to a friend about Christ because we think we might screw it up and God might buck us out of the boat. The reality is we live in a realm of grace. We can stand up, we can converse, we can relate. We need not spend our lives concerned that something in our present would buck us out of the boat, some cancer, some relationship, some challenge, some difficulty, some being you know, laid off at work as, as many are going through right now in our state and in our city. We need not worry that any event would buck us out of the boat because we are living in the realm of God's grace doesn't mean that life will be perfect, but it does mean that we are secure in our connection to him because we are living in the realm of God's grace. We've been given access to it. Friends, this is something that we need, isn't it? We need to know this. We've been given access to grace. We've been given peace with God. Third blessing that we see here, we've been giving, given joy in suffering. We've been given joy in suffering. Now, we see this in the second half of verse 2 down through verse 4. He says this, says, through him uh, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. Now, why is it in the midst of a conversation about blessings does Paul talk about suffering? And I think it's, this is kind of his logic here. 
If we are connected to Christ, then then we can have joy even when life is hard. And, And life will be hard, Paul is saying. See, peace with God does not mean that life gets easy. Life is difficult whether you know Christ or not. There are challenges, there is illness, there are struggles in this world whether you know Christ or not. But what he is saying is that if we know Christ, if we believe in him, that we can have joy in the midst of difficulty and challenge in life. And that is really quite a remarkable thing. And the way that that happens, that we can have joy in the midst of pain, in the midst of suffering, is because we can understand that a a sovereign God is able to do something in and through us in the midst of that difficulty um, that ultimately leads to his glory and our development for the better. We, We can trust him and have joy in the midst of suffering because of what God is doing and everything else that he's doing as it relates to life and to, and to us. F.F. F. Bruce has talked about this, and I love what he says. He says that, that uh, joy is peace dancing. That's how he described it. Joy is peace dancing. Now, when, when you hear that, we might think of a certain kind of a dance. Maybe it's like a touchdown dance. Maybe it's some kind of celebration or, or whatever. We think of that kind of dance. But I, I think that, that Bruce would say that joy is, is peace dancing is, is not necessarily a celebratory dance, but it's, it's moving in the rhythm of what God is doing. God is doing something in our lives, and when we understand this, this principle that God is at work in our lives, and we'll see this later on in the book of Romans, we, we can move back and forth knowing that God is at work and we can have joy even in the midst of a layoff. We can have joy even in the midst of an illness. We can have joy even in the midst of a relational tension. We can have joy even in the midst of being persecuted for our faith because we're moving to the rhythm of what God is doing in the world, knowing that he's got something that he's wanting to produce it in and through us. I don't know how many of you right now are in the midst of some kind of a suffering. Um, my guess is, if we're honest, most of us. You know why I know that? Because I'm living in this world too. And life is hard, and there are struggles, and things are, are, are challenges for us. But we can have joy in the midst of our suffering because we know the God who is in charge of it all. Peace with God, access to grace, joy in suffering. The fourth blessing that we see here is the indwelling spirit of God, the indwelling spirit of God. We see this in verse 5. He says, And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. Paul points out that the Holy Spirit is, has come and resided in the hearts of everyone who knows Christ. Paul would say in Ephesians chapter 1 that the Holy Spirit comes at the moment of belief in Christ. It comes to reside within us. And as the Spirit comes and resides within us, God has a number of, of purposes for the presence of the Spirit of God in our lives. It marks us as His. It helps us to understand His truth 
It empowers us for righteous living. All of those are things that that we see God doing through the presence of his spirit. But here I think Paul is pointing out an aspect of the presence of the spirit of God in our lives that is a little bit more subjective. He connects the presence of the spirit of God in our lives to an understanding that God loves us. In other words, as the Spirit of God resides within the heart of a believer, we have from the inside out a reminder that God is with us, a reminder that God is real, a reminder that God cares for us, a reminder that He loves us. Doug Moo, Bible commentator, says this of this idea. He says, the confidence we have for the day of judgment is not based only on our intellectual recognition of the fact of God's love, or even only on the demonstration of God's love on the cross, although that is important, but also on the inner subjective certainty that God does love us. This is something of what God does, the presence of His Spirit in our lives. If you know Christ at the core of who you are, there's a presence of the Spirit of God that is reminding you that God loves you. We need to be reminded We have peace with God. We have access to the grace of God. We have joy in the midst of suffering. We have the presence of the indwelling spirit of God. The fifth blessing that we see here is the blessing of being loved by God and a knowledge that we are loved by God. Now we see this in verses 6 to 8. In Romans 5, these are the most famous verses in Romans 5, the most often quoted in verses 6 to 8. What we see here is this. He says, For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The love of God is demonstrated with historic authenticity because God sent Jesus to die for us. And he sent Jesus to die for us, not at our high point, but at our low point. When we were sinners, when we were enemies of God, when we were unrighteous, when we were rebellious to him, it was at that point that God sent his son to die for us. Think of it this way, personalize it a little bit. What was your low point in sin? Don't dwell on it, but you're aware of it, I'm sure. At your low point in sin, it was at that point the knock comes at the door and it is God sending his son Jesus saying, at this point, at your worst, I am coming to die for you. That's the love that God has for us, a love that comes to us not on the basis of our performance, but in spite of our performance. He comes to us and offers us his love when we are at our worst that reminds us that no matter what, God is is a loving God towards us. Now, I was thinking about the implications of this, um, and I was, I was having a conversation with my friend Mike Strauss about it, and uh, Mike basically said this. He said, you know, it's, it's hard for us to, you know, love our enemies, right? It's really hard for us to love people who mistreat our kids. Any of you who have had the privilege of having kids grow up and have played Little League sports understand this, Right? When you think your child should be playing shortstop and they're playing right field, that little offense can irritate the heck out of you, can it? Um, 
When, when there's another kid at school, it might be eight or nine or 10 years old, but they're, they're just being kind of a jerk towards your kid. It's hard to be loving towards them, isn't it? You're kind of irritated with them. See, it's hard for us to imagine uh, loving someone, even, even somebody that, that just small things, right? Offenses against us. But can you imagine the demonstration of God's love who sent Jesus to die for people who were rebelling against us, knowing that they would kill him? That's love, friends. I cannot imagine, I cannot even imagine. It, it, this is personifying a little bit, but just, just imagine. I cannot imagine offering my son as a sacrifice for anyone, much less for somebody who consistently rebelled against me. But God demonstrates his own love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. If you want to know how much God loves you, remember that when you were at your worst, he demonstrated his love for you the most. One of the blessings of believing is knowing that God loves us. You know, if we walked in here today, uh, there are many who walked in here today not uh, really embracing that reality that God loves us. We might have, you know, heard it before. We might kind of file it away. You know, God, you know, he kind of loves me. He probably doesn't like me, you know, whatever. We've got these different categories in our brain. If, the, if you struggle with that at all, you need to memorize Romans 5, 6 to 8, because it is a, a historical demonstration of God's love. God didn't just send us a card and say, I love you. He didn't just spend $49 and go to the Radisson for the weekend. He sent Jesus to die in our place while we were still sinners. One of the blessings of believing is, is knowing that we are loved by God. The sixth blessing that we see is in verses 9 and 10, and that is that we are saved from wrath. Saved from wrath. Wrath. We see this here. He says, Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. Now, when we talk about the wrath of God, we need to remember all of what the book of Romans tells us about the wrath of God. Because if we're honest, when we talk about the wrath of God, we think of the wrath of God as something that is revealed only against the most, you know, the worst atrocities that we can imagine. The wrath of God goes against capital murder. The wrath of God goes against the abuse of children. The wrath of God goes against whatever. What we see in the book of of Romans in chapter 1 is that the wrath of God is revealed not against a select set of sins, but against all unrighteousness. We saw this consistently. He says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Romans 3, 23, again, tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 
All of us sin. All of us have unrighteousness. Therefore, all of us on our own are under the wrath of God. This is not something reserved for a select few. This is something that apart from what Jesus has done for us, all of us would be under. But what happened was that that God provided a way for his wrath to be poured out on another instead of us if we would just believe in Christ. When Jesus went to the cross, God made a way for all of the sin and all that we have done that is worthy of the wrath of God, all of that went on Jesus on the cross and God judged it there. He nailed it to the cross. He fully paid it at that point, fully satisfied it, so that there is no more wrath of God towards any who have trusted in Christ. The wrath of God was fully satisfied by Jesus on the cross for those who believe. And I think what Paul is is arguing here in Romans 5 is he's just reminding us, hey, if we are connected to Christ on the cross, if we are justified by that action back there, then when Jesus comes in the future, we need not fear the wrath and the judgment that he will bring. You know, when we read the book of Revelation, for instance, we see evidence of the promised return of Christ to the earth. And throughout the book of Revelation, we see judgment and wrath coming upon the earth. And then in Revelation chapter 19, when Jesus actually sets foot on the earth himself, he comes with a sword, he comes and he exhibits wrath towards sinful humanity at that point. That's a future that awaits. And what Paul is is saying here is if we are connected to Christ, if we are justified with him in the past, while we were enemies, if we trusted in him back then for this work, then when Christ comes in the future, we need not fear the wrath of God because we are saved from it. God fully satisfied the wrath towards our sin when we trusted Christ on the cross. Do we have a hope? of being saved from God's wrath. That's a promise from God based not on our performance, not on our works, not on our ceremonies, but based on what Jesus did and we just receiving that gift in faith. See, many of us live our lives fearing the wrath of God, whether it's a fear of the future and of end times. We're afraid of the wrath that is to come because we think that we might get squished as a part of that. If you know Christ, there's a way out of the wrath of God. There's a way for protection from the wrath of God. It's found in Christ and what he has done. For others of us, we we know that that's true in the future, but right now we, we just live our lives hoping that God doesn't find out about something in our lives. Guess what he knows? But guess what he dealt with? One of the blessings of believing is an understanding that we have been saved from the wrath of God. We have peace with God. We have access to grace. We have joy in suffering, indwelling spirit of God inside of us. We are loved by God, and we are saved from his wrath. But the seventh blessing that he mentions here is found in verse 11, and that is that we have been reconciled to God. He really mentions this back in Verse 10 as well, but 11, he highlights it even further. He says, more than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. 
See, sometimes it's easier for us to imagine having peace with God than reconciliation with God. We can imagine that God is not going to be at war with us anymore, but being truly reconciled to him, that's a relational term. Yeah, God may not choose to prosecute me, but the damage has been done. We're we're still distant in some way. Paul writes here to remind us that God has relationally reconciled us to himself. Just as he has established peace, just as he has saved us from wrath, he has reconciled us to himself that we could have a real relationship with him. Isn't that amazing? You know, when we think about this related to Paul, uh, this isn't hard for us to grasp. It's like, of course, Paul's reconciled to God. Yeah, maybe he did some bad things in his past, but he went on, he wrote half of the New Testament. The guy that writes half of the New Testament obviously is reconciled to God. The guy that raises the dead, Paul raised someone from the dead. The guy that raised the dead, surely he's reconciled with God, but not us. Remember, what pronoun does Paul use here? We, you and me, those, any of us who are connected to God through Christ, we have reconciliation with God. This means that we can converse with him. We can relate to him. We can live out our lives in fellowship with the God of the universe because we have been reconciled to God. Some of us live our lives thinking that God wants nothing to do with us. He may accept us in eternity, but he certainly doesn't want to talk to us now or later. Why are some of our prayer lives are so myopic? We need to remember this reality. If we are connected to God, we are reconciled through Christ that we might have a real relationship There are a number of blessings of believing, and Paul demonstrates them here. Peace with God, access to grace, joy in suffering, the indwelling Spirit of God, loved by God, saved from wrath, and reconciled to God. After talking about the cost and that Jesus paid it, in demonstrating our need, The hope is only found through Christ. Paul now lays out these beautiful blessings. My question to all of us today is, have we ever signed by faith the contract that he's offered to us? I began talking about $49 getting me into the opportunity to buy something I did not need with money I did not have. But here, many of us have have spent at least $49 on a Bible that points us to a story, a true reality of what God is offering us. And even though what it points us to costs more than we can afford, Jesus said, I've paid it all. And, And we are reminded that we absolutely positively need reconciliation with God. We need the Spirit of God inside of us. We need the things that are offered here. We need the forgiveness that only Christ can provide. Have you placed your faith and your trust in Jesus to secure the blessings that we desire? If you haven't, today could be the day that you do so. Let me pray for you. Father, I I pray today for um, the body here at Wildwood. I'm so thankful, Father, for the opportunity you've given us to gather today and to read your word.
I'm so thankful that you have, have chosen to reveal to us so many of these blessings that follow belief in Christ. Father, thank you that you offer us these things, not on the basis of our performance, but through an act of your love and a gracious gift that you offer us through Christ. Father, thank you for these gifts. And, and I pray today for those of us in this room who have trusted in Christ at some point in the past, that today would be a day we would be reminded of all that you have done for us in Christ that we would not spend our lives running from you, we would not spend our lives silent before you, we would not spend our lives um, wondering if you love us, but we would embrace these realities because these are gifts that you have given us today, Father. And I pray that that you would help us to, to remember those things by faith and that they would shape the way we respond to you and live our lives. And Father, for others who are in this room today, who are here today just checking out the claims of Christ. I pray today that as these benefits and blessings um, are demonstrated through your word, that you would give them the faith to trust in Jesus so that they might receive these blessings as well. Father, it is not through the completion of a class. It is not through... Um, participation in a ceremony. It is not through a track record of performance. It is while we are still sinners that Jesus died for us and our lives can be changed. And so, Father, I pray today for any who have never trusted in Christ that today, right now, in this moment, you would give them the faith to trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins and the provision of eternity. Father, we thank you. We pray these things in Jesus.